You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. And good afternoon, everyone. It is now 5 o'clock here at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. You are listening to Campus Beat from the basement of a romantic, scenic, and very warm today, Carruthers Hall. And I have the great pleasure of welcoming Courtney Sito from the School of Kinesiology and Health Sciences, as well as Sam McKegney from the Department of English here into our studio today. Thank you both for coming. Thanks for having us. Very glad to be here. Really excited to have you uh, in our studio. I know it's a busy time of the year, end of term, lots of papers are coming up, lot of exams. We're excited to not be doing any of those things right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have some really great things to be talking about today, particularly uh, the recent publication of the policy paper on anti-racism in Canadian hockey, uh, which uh, CFRC has learned about uh, through the Queen's Gazette. And we're going to hear a lot about this policy paper and your findings uh, and your recommendations from this uh, moving forward in our program. But in the meantime, uh, just to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourselves, can we learn a little bit about your teaching and maybe some of your research interests right here at Queen's University? Sure. So um, this is my second year teaching at Queen's. came over from Vancouver where I was born and raised and I'm teaching the first year sociology of sport class in kinesiology. I also teach a third year race and sport class um, and next winter we'll be starting a new class on sport health and the environment. Um, So my research kind of spans all those general areas. Um, I do a little bit of research on women's hockey and right now I'm on a Shark Insight Development Grant shooting a short documentary on the environmental implications of sporting goods manufacturing and production and we're looking at the bicycle uh, as the storytelling device so that's kind of my day job in a nutshell (laughs) wow i I, you had me at the sociology of sport Mm -hmm. that's i I, oh man i wish we were here doing another completely different interview too because what does that mean so uh, maybe we'll follow up again uh sam tell us a little bit about your teaching research well i'm doing far fewer things than Courtney, apparently. Um, no, I'm, I'm teaching right now uh, a third-year course called Context Turtle Island, which is Contemporary Indigenous Literatures in North America. And uh, I teach a graduate course in the English department right now uh, on hockey literature. Um, and in terms of my research, uh, I, I tend to study Indigenous literature in various ways. Um, I've written significantly on residential school survival narratives, and uh, I've been working on indig- Indigenous masculinity theory for the last decade or so. And actually, both of those enterprises kind of prompted me to think about the implications of hockey, both in Indigenous communities and in the relationship with settler colonialism. Okay. So that's, that's part of what has brought me into conversations with Courtney. Okay, I was, that, and that's what I was going to ask. How did you find each other? Did you like meet at a conference or started re- referencing each other's papers? 
or hey, you across <laughs> at the cafeteria. <laughs> the uh, hockey academic circle for sociocultural studies is a very small group in Canada. Okay. Um, yeah, so as soon as I started at Queen's, basically my colleagues were like, do you know Sam? He's over in English. And then they immediately connected uh, the two of us. And yeah, then we play hockey and just good buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually play hockey too? Every one, once in a while when yeah. Sam gets to organize something, yeah. That's fantastic. We, we held a... Uh, a research in motion. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we held a, a symposium for the Indigenous Hockey Research Network uh, last year, or maybe even longer ago than that. Um, and I'm, I'm a part of that network. And we were able to have a game as part of it as a community building exercise with the researchers and others involved. And, uh, and Courtney is... Um, a, a bit of a consultant with that group, and it was great. We got, I think we played defense partners together we did. in that, that game. And I'm not a natural defenseman at all, so Sam carried the weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really do appreciate your valuable time, both of you, uh, for coming in and giving us your time today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, and CFRC has recently learned that the two of you have co-authored a paper with uh, doctor or, or PhD candidate Michael Otsky at McGill and Bob Dawson of Box Score World Sportswire. And that paper is entitled P The Policy Paper on Anti-Racism in Canadian Hockey. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspirations that drove the research and writing of this policy paper? Yeah, so my doctoral research at Simon Fraser University was uh, basically on racism in hockey, um, looking at specifically the South Asian community in the lower mainland of BC. Um, Bob Dawson and I connected via email sometime in where whenever I finished my PhD, and then I moved out here and he shot me an email one day and said, I want to do a roundtable on racism in hockey, will you help me? And that was basically... Um, how it started. Mm -hmm. I said, let's see if we can find some money at Queen. So um, the Inclusive Community Fund, um, run through the provost office, I believe, was uh, a big reason why we were able to host it here. Um, and then we brought Sam on board, and uh, and then Sam can tell you about how the actual policy paper came about. Well, the the actual symposium to start off with or, or the roundtable was an absolutely inspiring day. We had fa fantastic speakers, um, former players, current players, um, representatives from the NHL, um, members of the media, you know, all focused on, on racism in the sport and really thinking together toward practical and actionable solutions to many of the problems that we see. Mm -hmm. But in terms of spurring us toward writing the policy paper, our keynote speaker that day was Eugene Arcand, who is uh, a Cree man from Saskatchewan who um, has been involved in Saskatchewan sport and hockey specifically for his whole life. He's a residential school survivor and uh, was the survivor representative for Saskatchewan at the TRC. And, um, and when he decided that he would come and be the, the keynote speaker, he indicated to both of us, you know, to, to come and share this story is a gift, but it's a responsibility. And if we're going to be together doing this work in Kingston, I expect you to do something with it. And I expect you to work toward the changes that we need to see. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and when, with that directive in mind and that inspiration behind us, um, we set about over the months that uh, followed to really try to consider what those practical recommendations would be. What would the changes 
that need to happen look like and how can we articulate them in a way that will be legible to the hockey community. Okay, so fleshing out uh, maybe a little bit more deeply on the changes that need to be made, I wonder if we can actually uh, dive right into maybe some examples of what bigotry actually looks like in practice, whether it's within league sports at a, at a community level or, you know, a big arena game at the national level. What does that look like? What maybe some folks might not recognize this? Yeah, I think there's a different couple of different levels to understand when we talk about racism. Um, I think the common understanding in Canada is that if I don't say racist things to other people, then I'm not part of the problem. I'm not racist and, and the world will be fine. Um, the problem is, is that if we understand racism as a systemic and institutionalized thing that operates whether you're kind of um, part of it or not, then we actually have to actively undo those systems and, and resist them. Um, so players and co coaches and parents that I've talked to, I mean, they still experience racism on the ice. So we, we do um, he often hear stories about racial slurs on the ice. Parents get into fights in the stands trying to defend their kids. So there's that interpersonal level of racism, which mm -hmm. is much easier to identify. Um, the larger structures that we try to get to at the policy paper are things like hiring and representation. Um, there's this common myth that people of color aren't in hockey because they either don't like it or they're not good at it. And that's why they're not there. It's a very supposedly meritocratic system. Um, but if we understand that the history of hockey is actually very multicultural with Indigenous contributions and Black contributions, and that they've been actively segregated from the sport, um, then it makes it a little bit easier for us to uh, advocate on behalf of actually putting in affirmative act. Uh, affirmative action type uh, measures and, and other proactive um, steps so that we can increase representation and have a better balance of, uh, of voices um, in coaching, officials, uh, administration, and things like that. Okay. So um, can you flesh out some of the barriers that marginalized groups or individuals have faced when trying to get involved with hockey uh, on and off the rink and uh, employment or, or otherwise? Well, in terms of um, in terms of barriers, we look in the policy paper at differential forms of access, uh, and these include, you know, financial access to the sport. Hockey is an incredibly expensive mm. sport to play, mm -hmm. and although there are initiatives in place to encourage uh, diverse uh, under undersubscribed communities to get into the sport, actually staying in the sport. Uh, in any kind of elite way um, is prohibitive mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of finances. So, you know, we advocate for things like lending libraries for equipment that uh, that groups like Bauer or Canadian Tire or Sport Check could easily be involved in to encourage hockey to be a sport for everyone. Mm -hmm. We encourage, for instance... Um, elementary schools and secondary schools to actively promote hockey as um, as a sport for all youth within those communities. Another form of access would be geographical. So in terms of indigenous players in the in the far north trying to proceed in hockey, um, most players would have to leave their communities very early on in order to have the ability to have elite coaching to play in a league um, you know, to pursue hockey dreams that for other Canadians would be much more accessible. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if Canada is actually dedicated to reconciliation and implementing the, the calls to action by the TRC, 
really dedicating a, a percentage of Hockey Canada's budget to Indigenous communities is a crucial aspect of that. Okay, thank you very much for that. So with the policy paper in mind, the policy paper on anti-racism in Canadian hockey, what are the main arguments that the, that the paper presents? I think we're looking at three main areas and we look at power, privilege and access as kind of these pillars of achieving uh, equity. Um, so power is really who who are, who sits in those positions of uh, decision making, whether it's Hockey Canada or the NHL or any type of board organization. Um, and how can we uh, have more diverse representation there? Um, privilege. Um, and part is representation, seeing yourself in those spaces so that you can actually think that you can achieve those. But mm -hmm. also, when you come forward with stories about racism, do people believe you? Um, does does your Do your words have value? Um, and then access, as uh, Sam covered quite well, is how do we overcome this hurdle of uh, hockey being becoming a very elitist sport um, and cutting out the vast majority of Canadians? So I think... Um, I think it's important that people understand that the grassroots levels of, of hockey in Canada, the Timbits type hockey, is more diverse than it's ever been. Now, low bar to start with, but it's definitely getting a lot better. But what most people don't understand is that we have two very separate sporting systems in Canada. We have a grassroots, semi-funded system and a well-funded high-performance system. And the two don't really meet. So if you're not in that high-performance pipeline at a very early age, you're not getting in there. Um, and the way to excel out of uh, the hockey system is through hockey academies generally these days. That's where the vast majority of major junior and NHL players come out of. These academies run anywhere from like $10,000 to $30,000 a year, not including schooling or billeting or what have you. So obviously that's a ridiculous cost that people have to um, take on themselves. Uh, so we need to look at who's making it into these academies because there's far fewer of them and they're far more selective in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and then who's making at, who's making it out of them right um as as really the measure of equity so i kind of uh give the analogy of um gated communities so when racialized people started moving from city centers into suburbs gated communities cropped up as this answer to um, protecting uh, white people from living around people that they didn't really know and didn't really know what it was going to be like to live with them and it's not necessarily inherently racist right it's not saying we actively exclude these people but it's it's an additional hurdle and it's an additional mm -hmm. barrier that we pop up that makes people feel safe or what have you so I think it's kind of similar that it's hockey academies are in no way a malicious attempt to keep people out, but it makes it that much difficult. That's much more difficult. So it's this thing that we have to um, factor in when we're talking about this kind of broader uh, accessibility. Okay. All right. Now, what about some of the specific recommendations that emerge from this policy paper? And and tell us a little bit too about the evidence uh, that led you to these recommendations, Sam. Well, in relation to recommendations, one that I think it's, is important to share is. Uh, is related to re-education mm -hmm. and uh, legibility. So in terms of everyone understanding what the responsibilities are with relation to incidents that may be racist that happen in a hockey space. And at present, it simply isn't the case that all coaches, officials, players, and parents and arena personnel know what the appropriate response is um, were such a situation to arise. Mm -hmm. Um, so oftentimes what we get is uh, either the person who is the victim of a, a racist taunt, et cetera, or their parents 
carrying the burden of dealing with the incident. And, and so we advocate in the, in the policy paper that uh, all officials and, and coaches and parents need to be educated on anti-racism, intercultural competency, and conflict, conflict resolution to ensure that level of consistent knowledge. And we also advocate that uh, there needs to be a zero tolerance policy when it comes to racism in hockey spaces. Um, and, and that needs to be across the board. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and further to that, uh, also having um, an external body to deal with those incidents so that um, it, there's not an active disincentivization for, uh, for players who are seeking to excel and worried that they're running the risk of shooting themselves in the foot if they call out a teammate, if they call out opposition, if they speak to something that's happening, if they become the ones who are targeted as troublemakers, right? So mm -hmm. I think those are key elements that, that need to, to shift. Mm -hmm. um, and it would not be extremely burdensome for Hockey Canada and other bodies to implement that kind of education. We already have with gender identity uh, and sexual identity, we have teaching that goes on for all parents and coaches um, throughout minor hockey in Canada to have that kind of teaching with relation to race and intercultural competency. Um, yeah, again, is a totally implementable strategy for eliminating racism within the sport. Mm -hmm. Can I jump on that? Absolutely. Um, so I think one of the recommendations that we give that's quite uh, feasible, but whether people will do it or not is a whole other story, is actually stopping hockey games if racism occurs on the ice and referees know about it. So there was a story, I think it was in 2010 in Peterborough, of a minor uh, hockey game going on and the coach hears racist slurs coming at one of his black players and he s threatens to stop the game if that player gets to continue playing in the next period. Um, so third period starts, everybody's out there and he was like, well, if you guys are going to play that player, I'm going to protect my players and we're not going to play. Hockey Canada suspended him as a response to the saying... Coach. Yes. To saying that he was disrupting the game for far more people than were affected by the incident of racism. It eventually was overturned, but the fact that they were going by the rule book and to say that stopping hockey to protect your players from racism is the kind of thing that we're saying is nonsensical, right? Especially if we're going to espouse the idea that sport teaches character, then you have to ask what kind of character are we teaching um, our youth? And especially at the minor levels where winning really should not be important and that's a whole other discussion. But to, it's a big lesson to teach kids to be like, no, this is not okay. That behavior is unacceptable. We're going to stop playing and this is why. Um, and if you start that at the lower levels, then at the upper levels, hopefully that's not an issue anymore. Mm -hmm. But these are just kind of the loopholes that we find that we're like, okay, we're not thinking about these things in a proactive way. Okay. Thank you for that. I really do appreciate that. Um, okay, so why is it important overall in terms of policy development regarding... Uh, so, Sorry, I'm going to reframe the question. Why, why is the policy paper important regarding sport and entertainment overall? How might some of the arguments apply to other sports as well and the entertainment industry? Are there any translations there? Um, inter interesting question. I think I think what's important to understand with our policy paper is that it is very Canadian centric. Mm -hmm. um, this is the space and we live and we study and that's really why we created it. And it's very much inspired by the Truth and Reconciliation 
Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, which have five calls that are specific to sport. And I don't think most Canadians know that. I don't think most sports people in, in Canada know that as well. Um, so that's mm-hmm. an important context to understand for the paper. Can certain aspects of it be applied elsewhere? Absolutely. Like things like hiring. We've seen that in Hollywood and, and, and many other industries. Um, but I think that if you're looking for a cut cookie cutter solution, Ours is not the policy paper for you to do that. <laughs> we, we certainly um, encourage other people, and we have some colleagues down in the States that are very much inspired by, by this kind of work um, mm-hmm. and would like to create something similar for the U.S. context. Um, but racism in Canada and U.S. is so different. Like, mm-hmm. racism, you can talk about it in, in the United States. Like, it's a legitimate issue. Um, but in Canada, to speak about race is considered racism in a a lot of circles and to speak about racism is almost unpatriotic because we're supposed to be multicultural we don't have that problem and it's this moral high ground that we um inhabit over the americans so it's a much harder conversation to have in canada actually Hmm. and just to follow up on that in talking about the policy paper quite frequently the initial response that people get you mean there's racism in hockey you know, there's that, that sensibility that the pervasive whiteness of the arena space means that there can't be racism there. Right. And and I think that's really part of what we're trying to do is build up those conversations so that people are actually registering what's going on. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, too, uh, where you're talking about reception. So what might reception what has what reception has been encountered so far or what might you anticipate uh perhaps from uh like the secondary or post-secondary uh school teams or community league level or even local provincial and even national level hockey groups i think it's early for us to know the reception yet and we haven't had the time to really hit all the like uh, grassroots leagues and things, but um, the NHL has been very responsive, as they were responsive with the roundtable as well. Okay. Um, we have a meeting with the Minister of Heritage's office in a few weeks. Uh, all four authors will be in Ottawa to discuss how we can make this more actionable. Um, the people who have been less receptive have been Hockey Canada. That is regarding the roundtable itself with multiple invitations to have somebody in the room. Um, And, you know, we sent them the policy document and they said received and that was about it. Uh, So... I think when people have this larger conversation about is this the reckoning that hockey has been waiting for or needs, I think Hockey Canada holds the answer there. Um, It doesn't really happen without them because of the power that they hold in the institution in Canada. So we shall see. Okay. Anything else to add, Sam? No, I want to leave it on that point about Hockey Canada being... It it is incumbent upon Hockey Canada to reckon with this. Mm -hmm. and, And that is really... Uh, if if listeners are interested in, in seeing this moved forward, actually contacting Hockey Canada is a good move. Okay. And uh, maybe this sort of leads into the, a good segue into my next question then. How have uh, regular members of the public already contributed to the research uh, that uh, um, informed your recommendations and how might they still contribute? Hmm. So I think a lot of the outcomes that uh, are listed in the policy paper come from existing research that Sam's been conducting, that I've been conducting. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, the the voices that are in there are because people think that it's necessary that things change. And they haven't really had anywhere to go. So I've spe- spoken to, to players uh, for my PhD research, and they're like, you know, nobody's ever asked me about racism in hockey. Everybody just assumed I was okay, um, whether it's just they're a smiley person or whatever. So I think there is this common assumption that if nobody says anything, it's not a problem. Um, so I think this is about creating a space for people to say, yes, uh, I agree with this or I disagree with it or whatever just to have that conversation mm-hmm. um we have we have thought about having a signatories type thing um that we could attach to it but we haven't quite gotten that far yet but we were thinking about you know if people read this and they agree with it can we do one of those what are they called Petition? those change.org type petitions and yeah. can we put that forth to hockey canada so if there's you know interest in that we can certainly do that mm-hmm. other recommendations for people to get involved <sighs> Uh, it, it's a tough call. I mean, the, there's so much more research that actually needs to be needs to be done. I mean, I shouldn't say research to document racism, right. but actual research on the the grassroots things that are actually going on to encourage a more welcoming space. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's happening too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the narrative around it isn't isn't that legible to the public and mm-hmm. legible to uh, to others. Um, and just and w- one of the things that we talk about in the policy paper is about media actually being uh, more articulate and, and clearer about the history of racism and how it ties in systemically in sport. And, and I think, you know, creating opportunities to bind those things together so that people recognize um, racism as a pervasive and ongoing problem as opposed to these little flashpoints. Because often what happens is an incident will happen usually in professional hockey and uh, or elite hockey, and it'll uh, receive attention from the media. It'll be righteously recognized as horrid, and everyone will be appalled, but then it'll, it'll fade away, and we'll go back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. And I think the movement is from recognizing individual instances of racism toward seeing racism as something that is systemic, within all sport and with Canadian society more broadly, and then thinking about ways of making hockey actively anti-racist, making it part of the movement toward safe social spaces for our youth and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if people are out there, their parents or they're working in a local minor hockey association, you don't need to adopt the entire policy paper, right? Like, if you can, that's great. But if there's one or two things in there that you can make a difference today, um, we encourage you to do those things. And along the lines of um, kind of interpersonal relationships, we think, you know, if you don't say the racist thing, fine. But have you actively actually reached out to that new family that is in the rink, to the parents that are sitting by themselves? Like, have you actively included them in the existing hockey space? And that's a very simple thing, but it actually goes a long way because a lot of um, parents that I've spoken to, um, they just felt very excluded um, in the space. And because players have an automatic team, you're going to eventually make friends and you have people to support you in some way or another. Parents don't have that um, fallback. Mm -hmm. It can be a very isolating experience in the stands. So um, I think even more intermingling amongst the parents uh, can go a long way. Okay. Um, now, one of the things I'd like to learn a little bit more about, too, before our program ends today, who is this policy paper addressed to and who's changing policy? What's ha- what happens next? Well, it's very much addressed to um, the hockey community mm-hmm. in Canada, but also policymakers 
like Hockey Canada. I mean, okay. Hockey Canada makes decisions that impact hockey players, fans, officials, and others at all levels. Okay. So, I mean, there's a real directed attentiveness to Hockey Canada. There's attentiveness to the NHL, but also anyone involved in a specific team or a specific association within a, a city. Mm-hmm. I mean, Changes can be made at all of those levels. Okay, fantastic. And uh, what obstacles might you encounter still with uh, regarding actual change? Just the general resistance that we've <laughs> encountered for decades past. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we think we're at this pivotal moment in hockey with these uh, allegations coming out with the in the NHL and the firing of Don Cherry. Like that was supposed to be this huge moment for for sport. So. I don't know. We'll see. It's really not something we can decide in in the moment. We it's kind of one of those hindsight things, unfortunately. So this this paper is to say, let's stop collecting evidence. Uh, I think we have enough evidence. Let's mm-hmm. actually create some actionable change if this is what we want. And we keep touting this line: hockey is for everyone. Hockey is for everyone. It's just really kind of annoying because what. It, it's aspirational, great, but what we need to be saying is hockey is not for everyone yet. Um, and this is the work of the document. Okay. And now where can we find this document if, if folks in the general public would like to have a look at it? Yeah, you can find it on hockeyinsociety.com. Um, it's an exclusive paper on there, and it's got a little bit of a backstory as to how the policy paper came about. Um, and then it's got a PDF uh, link in there, so you can download it for free. Okay. And a uh, final word, what is it that you love most about hockey? Oh, honestly, there there is almost nothing I'd rather be doing than playing hockey. Um, ah, research agenda, schmear. <laughs> honestly, it's one of the few spaces where I never think about research. Like never when I'm playing, I'm never thinking about what I need to be doing. It's, ah. it's a, a space where I can actually uh, feel totally involved in, in play. Um, that's not to say that horrid things don't happen in a hockey arena or terrible things aren't said in a dressing room, yeah. but the actual gameplay is something that, uh, that takes me away. And I still love it to this day, even as my play declines steadily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing people have asked me to quantify this. Like, what do you love about hockey? It's not one of those things that's intangible, right? Um, one of the things that I love the most might be that first lap around the ice. You're just feeling mm. the wind on your face. Um, it's the camaraderie on the bench and in the locker room if you are in a positive space. Um, and I think that that's one of the things to recognize is that um, if you have a good experience in hockey right now, it is by chance. It is not by design. Um, and we lose a lot of people because they have negative experiences in the game, whether it's a, abuse of any form. Um, and so as two people who love the game and hate to see people leave the game, you know, this is our kind of gift back to say, how do we make it better? Mm-hmm. And how do we make sure that as many people who want to play get that opportunity? Thank you very much. And on that note, we need to end our program. Thank you very much, Courtney Sito, Department or School of Kinesiology and Health Sciences, and Sam Bikegni, Department of English, for coming into the station today here at CFRC 101.9 FM here on Campus Beat to talk about their co-authored paper, the policy paper on anti-racism in Canadian hockey. It's a very important subject uh, from which our listeners will enjoy and uh, learn from. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Thank you.